Hi, I'm Trevor Cochran and this is The Garden Gurus Live, a weekly show where I'll share seasonal gardening advice, feature a variety of gardeners from all across Australia and give listeners the opportunity to interact and ask your garden questions. To join the chat live and ask your gardening questions, all you need to do is like our Facebook page and tune in every Friday at 12pm Australian Eastern Standard Time. This program is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as nature N, blood and bone, seaweed, biostimulants, manure and feather meal to improve the soil, and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scott's Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. Welcome to The Garden Gurus Live. It's our Facebook live feed, your chance to ask a whole bunch of questions and for me to tell you some stories and share some stories and advice about gardening and things that are happening right at the moment. There's some really cool stuff going on out there. Now, today I'm going to introduce you to a chap by the name of Adrian Parsons. Adrian is the managing director of a company called Helix Australia. Now, that might not mean a lot to you, but if you love beautiful cut flowers, if you love wax flowers and baronia, and if you've ever traveled around the world and you've seen them in other countries, a lot of that's got to do with Adrian and the work that he and his team are doing in breeding new, improved forms. We've got some rippers to show you a bit later on. I've got my plant of the week. We've got some garden essentials, if you like. I'm taking you into the garden shed. And that's um, thanks to Love the Garden, our sponsor. So thanks, big, big thank you to them. And of course, we will be answering your questions throughout. So please post them as you go. I'd love to hear your comments. And if you've got any feedback, we're looking to develop this so that it's more and more of what you need. This is really a two-way street. So please make sure you share your thoughts and ideas with us. Okay. Now, um, one of the things that I did want to do was quickly maybe ask a question or answer a question that's been asked. And Daisy from Brisbane, has a ripper and it's a plant called Duranta repens. Now the Duranta is um, sometimes called the golden uh, dewdrop. It's a, it's a beautiful plant, but there is a very special form of it called Sheena's gold. And it starts off as a shrub, but if you under prune it, if you take all the branches down underneath, it tends to grow up and then basically all the flowers and the foliage are right up in the air. It's something that you don't want. Now, this is exactly what Daisy's done. She's actually cut the bottom and centre branches out about five years ago, and they've not grown back. And this is one of the things that happens with these types of shrubs, is that effectively, they keep going up. And if you cut all the bottom branches, the top ones shade out the, the bottom buds so they won't burst into, into foliage again. Sometimes you can stimulate it by selectively pruning top branches to allow some light to come in, and it might stimulate some growth coming from the bottom you'd probably want to take 50% of the foliage above to allow enough light to get in to have a chance of stimulating that. Another thing you can do is called cinturing and it's basically just cutting the bark just above or below where there's some growth, um, little growth nodules. So that might stimulate a bit of growth. To be quite honest, I would just plant a new one. That's the thing that I would do. So hopefully that helps you, Daisy. How are we doing? We're pumping through these questions, aren't we? I'm going to keep rolling. Marlene from Point 
Lonsdale in Victoria. How do I espalier an almond tree? Well, now is the best time of the year to be espaliering anything. And espalier is simply that fan shaping of a tree. So it's literally just getting a nice flat growth. So what you do is you literally plant a pole here, plant a pole there, run some wires across them, and the tree needs to be obviously in the middle. And what you wanna do is you wanna stretch those branches that are flexible and tie them to the wire so that you're growing a nice flat fan shape. Anything that doesn't fit into that sort of shape needs to be pruned away. And what'll happen is in a very short period of time, you'll end up with a beautiful, big, long, flat tree. And it's a great way to be able to harvest on a regular basis. Almonds tend to be very upright trees, a lot more difficult to espalier than say things like avocados or probably one of my favorites, citrus. They look fantastic espaliered. So I hope that helps you, Marlene. Christine in Victoria, what is the best plant for a shaded area that isn't overly thirsty? Now, she's just moved some lamandras to the area and wanted something to fill out the area, or I think maybe those lamandras have come out. Lamandras love full sun, but one of the plants that does really well in those shady spots are liriopes. And again, it's a lovely compact strappy leaf, effectively a ground cover that has beautiful purple berries and white flowers. And now is the time to be putting them in. You can get a couple of variegated forms of them too. The best place to find this sort of stock, of course, is at your local garden centre. If it's not open, if you are in Vic and, and it's not open, then my recommendation is that maybe you go online, check out Garden Express would be a good place to go shopping for those sorts of plants and they deliver direct to your door. Now, here's a, I'll tell you what, here's a good one, Marshall Taylor. Now, Marshall Taylor has, done a lot of gardening stories with me. He is one of the, one of the stars of the camera world and we've got him following us here. Um, Marshall uh, carries those very heavy cameras, so he tends to be a little bit squat and strong and, and he says that I'm looking really young, so I love him even more. And he says the Fremantle Dockers are growing on him as well, which for an Eagle supporter, that's fantastic. Thanks, Marsh. How do I stop rapid growth? Well, rapid growth, Marshall, that's a good question. Quite seriously, back off the fertiliser. If you're feeding lots, they're going to grow lots. And, um, you know, as we get older, we sort of sometimes will grow wider if we're eating too much. But if we're, uh, if we're young and we're eating well, we tend to grow tall. So you can kind of work out from there. Pruning also makes a big difference. So regular pruning will keep things nice and compact in all seriousness. Nice to see you, Marsh. Um, Leanne from Perth, we're in WA. Can I buy the eucalyptus mini red? Garden Express was out of stock. Well, one of the interesting things about being in Western Australia is that we have um, this wonderful isolation. We've got desert between us and the rest of the country. And it means that a lot of diseases that exist in other parts of the country don't exist in Western Australia. And one of them is a thing called um, the myrtle rust. Um, and any plant from the Myrtaceae family, uh, which includes eucalypts, cannot come from the east coast to the west coast. So you can't buy them. Garden Express wouldn't have been able to help you with those. But probably a leading garden centre, somebody like Waldex would be able to help you because there's definitely growers that are growing them locally at the moment. Plant Right is probably the first one that comes to mind. There's some beautiful grafted eucalypts out there now and um, putting them into your garden or particularly as a, as a nice compact street verge tree, great way to go. We're staying in Perth just at the moment. Amy. Uh, she wants to know what the best lavender to grow in WA is, um, an Australian variety or something traditional. Well, 
It's not really an Australian variety as such of lavender, but there's certainly a lot of plants that are Australian that look like lavender. My recommendation would be that you head down to your local garden centre and you talk to them about the lavender that they have in stock because in the south of Western Australia, you have to understand Australia is a big place. In Western Australia, there are five different climatic zones alone. So we have to, to, to get this right, we have to uh, make sure we're getting local advice. And if you're in the southwest, well, probably one of those lavenders like the Spanish or the Italian will be better than maybe the French, albeit they all do pretty well right across the southwest of WA. So talk to your local garden centre. Joe's asking, can I use sprays and fertilizers that are quite old, maybe over 10 years, should I throw them out? I would dispose of the chemical sprays. More than likely, um, they will have dissolved and broken down. And if they haven't, they're probably something you couldn't buy anymore because they don't break down. And that's actually a very important thing. You don't want something sitting in your soil or on your plants that you may ingest or come in contact with that then stores in your body the same way. So my suggestion is if they're quite old, get rid of them, get some new fresh ones. The fertilizers, it's a general comment, minerals are not gonna change, so they should be fine. Um, but it's a good question. We all find these things in the back of the shed every once in a while. Margaret Ann from uh, Northwest Victoria, is it okay to cut back rosemary that's getting out of shape and thick this time of the year? Now's the time to do it, uh, Margaret Ann. They, Rosemary is something you don't want to cut back too hard. If you cut it back to really old wood, it probably won't recover. Regular pruning with rosemary is a lot better. So ongoing, continuous pruning, harvesting, using it in the kitchen, fabulous way to go. But don't go using, um, don't go using it. Now, Katrina is asking what is the best, and then in bold capital letters, cheapest mulch to buy. My suggestion is you compost your own greens from your own garden. There's a lot of, obviously, leaves that have fallen off deciduous trees. They're great to use. That's the cheapest. If you're looking at a green mulch, something that's, say, gone through a wood chipper, my recommendation is you be very, very careful where that's come from. And the reason I'm saying this is because if it was a tree that was sick, that was cut down and then put through the chipper, and that tree had a disease, the last thing you want to do is introduce that into your garden. Now, with a lot of the green waste companies, a lot of the companies that now chipping tree, tree prunings, um, they do compost them. And if it's been composted, generally it's been superheated to about 70 degrees Celsius. And once it gets to that level, it pretty much burns out most of the pathogens that can be dangerous in your garden and could be spread. So look for something that's been composted. That's the best advice I can give you. Let's head back to Victoria. We've got a lot of activity. Sharon from Beechworth in Victoria. Where do I apply Troforte? Just planted a new garden. Do I do it now? Do I wait for spring? Thing with Troforte and what makes it work so well is that it has microbes in it. It has 24 beneficial microbes and a great mix of minerals. So you can apply that any time of the year, but particularly this time of the year when soils are nice and wet, those microbes are gonna move through the soil a lot quicker. Now's a great time to be applying it. We're just moving into spring. As the weather warms up, plants are gonna be screaming out for those nutrients and it's a controlled release. So it'll give them regular feed over a long period of time. So I'd go for that. Lisa, we're heading up to Queensland. I've had some trees mulched up. Can I use the mulch in my garden straight away? Lisa, that was exactly the, the question that was raised just before. And my answer to, to that is that, yes, you can. There's nothing wrong with that. What I would recommend you do, if you wanna compost it down a little bit and get it going faster, and the piles of mulch are not enormous, um, grab some urea. 
throw that in and mix it into the, into the mulch. Now, this is going to really speed up the breakdown process. In fact, within probably three to four weeks, that mulch will be steaming and be really quite hot. And it's exactly what you want to sterilise some of those bad bacteria and, and fungi out of the soil. So, so that's probably my suggestions. I wouldn't use it straight away. I'd leave it for three or four weeks after you've put some, uh, some urea in there and make sure it's nice and moist. Evelyn, what is the best thing to control wasp lumps on cherry trees? Now that's interesting. Now, typically it depends on, uh, depends on what's causing this. It could be actually caused by some things that, um, that it might not appear to be here. So there's a, there's a number of things that uh, can attack cherries, um, including borers that can cause this gnarling or, or these, these lumps on there. My suggestion is probably to cut them out and then to look at a natural bait. And you can get some, some baits, bright yellow baits that are designed to attract um, some of these gall wasps and uh, it might be a nice way to control it. Yellow sticky traps are something I'm gonna feature in a coming episode of The Garden Gurus because they're such an effective way to control insects broadly in the garden, reduce the impact that, um, that they're having with regards to damaging your favorite plants. So um, hopefully that will help. Now, Kathleen's asked, what do I feed my garlic plants with? Potato E or potato D manure. That's the best thing to do if you're going to give them a feed. Hopefully they're just doing their own thing and they shouldn't need it. Um, I've grown garlic this year in amongst my uh, brassicas, which may or may not be a good thing yet. We'll wait and see what the garlic cloves look like when they eventually get done. Remember garlic takes somewhere between seven and nine months before it matures to be full size. So don't go feeling like you've actually got to go and throw you know, a heap of, um, a heap of food at them. They will do their own thing naturally. Now, I think we're uh, about to head into some territory that I really love. I am a massive fan of West Australian wildflowers. The Midwest of WA has an incredible array. In fact, it's one of the biodiversity hotspots in the world. And there's a huge amount of breeding being done out of places like Kings Park and Botanical Gardens. And the guys there have got some amazing new species. Bred, basically, all well, the new varieties, bred for the purpose or different purposes, so home gardens, but also for cut flowers. And the company that's leading the international marketing and distribution of that is a company called Helix Australia. And these, this work that they have done has meant that our wildflowers are being seen all over the world. In fact, being enjoyed in bouquets and bunches of flowers. So I was very lucky to be able to get Adrian Parsons, the managing director of Helix, who is so passionate to join us this morning. This time last year, you and I had the pleasure of heading into the Midwest of WA to have a look at the trial plants that you guys uh, were growing and backed on a farm, a wildflower farm. And it was a very special experience for me. I, I didn't realise how much work has been done in breeding of wax flowers. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, so we've been involved in wax flowers for over 20 years now, Trevor. Um, yep. Initially from a cut flower perspective, that about 12 years ago, we set up a breeding business because um, we saw an opportunity or a need for Australia to remain competitive in the world of wax flower. We needed better varieties, newer varieties to, to excite 
a home gardener and also, yeah, cut flower growers around the world. And this breeding really addresses, because home gardeners want something quite different to cut flower growers. So cut flower growers are looking for lovely big long stems for the purpose of cutting and, and shipping all over the world um, and obviously using in bouquets. But uh, home gardeners tend to look for a more compact plant, don't they? Yeah, and so our ongoing breeding, we are, we've got our eye out for more compact plants. Mm -hmm. But the important message for home gardeners is yeah, wax plants, they quite like to, they like to be pruned quite hard. So if you just let them grow, they can become quite woody and leggy and a bit unruly. But um, yeah, the message to get through is pruning after flowering, uh, almost hedging is quite good for the plant and that'll keep it nice and compact. And this is one of those things, right? This is the, the mistake that many people make with native species is they think that you put them in the ground and don't touch them, right? They don't need to be cared for, but they do need to be cared for. And pruning stimulates new fresh growth. It invigorates the plant, keeps them healthy and gives them a longer life. But most importantly, it ends up delivering you more and more flower, right? Yeah, I mean, they, they do enjoy the cutback. They're very vigorous. Um, we often hit them with a hedger when we're cutting them in the field for flowers, mm -hmm. sometimes down to as low as 30 centimetres off the ground. Mm -hmm. So yeah, gardeners need not be scared to prune them quite hard after flowering. Fantastic. Now, one of the things, Adrian, that, that uh, I was quite amazed with is the breeding work that's been done. And having a look at the size of the flowers on some of these plants that you're trialling, they're enormous. They're nothing like I've ever seen before. And, and that work is continuing all the time, isn't it? Yeah, so in breeding, you've got your eye, you, you're mixing ingredients in a pot. You don't know what you're going to get. What we're looking for is new colours, um, bigger bloom sizes, uh, different petal shapes, early flowering varieties, late flowering varieties, all sorts of attributes. But bloom size is a definite uh, outcome that we see in the, the varieties we'll have in the coming years. Our petal size is is almost doubling. I was going to say it's it's it is at least double I reckon, and and also the colours, the intensity of colour and variation of colour on some of the varieties. You know, you effectively getting two tone uh, flowers, right? Yeah. So typically, the the colour palette of wax flowers is white and pinks and purples. Um, we have added to that mix. We've got a lovely variety called My Sweet 16, which starts out white but turns red as it's yeah. aging. So you get a bicolour look. Um, we've got another variety called Marshmallow Delight, which often displays two or three colours of pink and white. So yeah, that multicolour bicolour mix is a definite outcome of our breeding program. Now, we've been looking at three particularly special varieties uh, in the very first episode of the Garden Gurus. And I think they are going to be magnificent garden plants. And I know you've already done a lot of work and some of the top growers in the country are growing them in pots for people to be able to get in their gardens now. Tell us a little bit about them. The three varieties? Yes, Sarah's Delight, Dee's Delight, and of course, Moonlight Delight. Okay, well, th these are all have been chosen for, for big petal size. Mm -hmm. um, also, like Moonlight Delight, it's a lovely large flowered white. It starts out at a very large red bud in your garden and 
as the flower starts to open, you get a mixture of red bud and white flower. Um, mm -hmm. It's an early flowering variety. Uh, in, in, on the East Coast, that's flowering sort of August, September. Over in Perth, probably more July, August. Yeah, right. Uh, so that's Moonlight, Moonlight Delight. Sarah's Delight and Dee's Delight uh, are both uh, pink varieties, both large bloom, also have a very nice red bud um, and similar, maybe two or three weeks later flowering time in Moonlight Delight. One of the things with Dee's Delight is um, is the the toning of the the colours of the flowers. So there's there's variation on the same stem. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a variation of pink and mauve and purple, and it, it just creates a beautiful look in the garden. And all of these varieties they will flower for easily six weeks in your garden, even longer. So you get quite a lot of enjoyment from them. And look, we're talking about, you know, colour in the garden at a time of the year when there's not a lot. Um, the other thing that's really important, and I know from my own personal experience in my garden, is that this is a fabulous source of food for birds and bees. So you're bringing a lot of wildlife into your garden, a lot of life, a lot of activity. It's really good. Yeah, I mean, wax have a real honey nectar smell to them, which I'm sure the birds and the bees love. Uh, mm -hmm. I love the smell of wax flower. The, the leaf of wax flower has got quite a citrusy smell to it. So yeah, I'm sure sure the birds love it. Adrian, I know I'm, I'm, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit here and, and we're not meant to really talk about it, but recently I was watching um, in the finals of MasterChef, one of the uh, contestants pulled out something out of their hat and it surprised me. It was an edible wax flower. Yeah, so we've been working Native foods is a real boom area at the moment, both for the home garden and the restaurant space. We've got uh, finger limes, we've got Davison plums, Warrigal greens, uh, all sorts of amazing native plants. And, and wax flower also fits into this native food. So we've been doing a lot of work developing wax flower as a, uh, a herb, an edible plant for your garden. Um, we saw it on wax on MasterChef We've also supplied it to a number of big restaurants around Australia. So the home gardener can enjoy the uh, pleasure of the flower and then we will be releasing a variety that is our best edible edible wax plant in the coming years. So that's something to look forward to in the future? Definitely. Yep, put it on your back deck, put it, put it with your gin and tonic, um, have it in a curry. It's got a variety of uses. It's amazing. It really is amazing. What else? You guys are doing a bit of work with Baroni, as I know, looking further down the line. These are all things that um, spectacular plants. I know that um, we're going to do some filming very soon on some new Baroni varieties. I think the development came out of Kings Park. Correct. Yeah, we have a long-standing relationship with Kings Park Botanic Garden in Perth, who operate a very sophisticated breeding and research facility. So they're helping us develop all our wax flower varieties. We also partners with them on Baronias. We have two Baronias on the market at present, Baronia Plum Bells and Baronia Magenta Stars. So they are available at garden centres right now, probably for the next four to six weeks. And in the coming years, we've, we've got over 30 new Baronia hybrids under trial at present. That's incredible. That is incredible. That Getting out in the field is, is something quite remarkable, a real eye-opener and uh, just shows the diversity of plants and I suppose 
you know, just the, the work that's been done to make them really good plants for home gardens. Mate, I, we have a few questions flowing through and one that you might be able to assist us with, um, Tala has asked which WA wildflowers grow best in central west New South Wales. Um, I would be thinking the conditions in some ways are fairly similar to what we experience in the Midwest of WA at the wheat belt and, and wax flowers would be a, a really good example of a plant that should do pretty well in that environment. Yeah, I mean, the key climatic requirements for wax is they, the hotter the better. They love hot summers. Um, soils, they prefer sandy, well-drained soils. They don't really like their wet feet. So if it's a heavy clay soil, you need to yeah, mound the plant to give it a bit better drainage. And frost, waxes are not too keen on frost. Um, so if that region has frost, you need to plant the wax with a bit of overhead protection um, or yeah, to make sure it doesn't get frost damage. Okay, great advice, Adrian. That is absolutely sensational. Um, Mate, look, I'm really looking forward to showcasing these waxes this week on the show. I think we're going to have a lot of interest. People are able to find some of these varieties now in their local garden centres? Very much. I mean, during the COVID crisis, yeah, gardening has been booming. Our wax flower sales started a lot earlier this year. Um, some growers have run out of some varieties, but there is still plenty of stock coming through, both at independent garden centres and also at Bunnings. Wonderful. Now, if people want to find out more about any of the plants that you guys are breeding and growing, I would imagine the place to go to is helixaustralia.com.au, your website. Correct. Fantastic. Well, mate, that's great. It's terrific catching up with you. You're looking well. I'm glad you got your hair uh, done for the show for us, which is great. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I look forward to catching up with you again real soon. Thanks for joining us. Thanks very much, Trevor. This program is brought to you by The Garden Gurus and Scott's Performance Naturals. Scott's Performance Naturals is the 100% natural and sustainable way to grow and feed your garden. Backed by years of research and developed by scientists, the technology employed enhances natural processes, allowing extra strong growth. The Performance Naturals range contains organic materials such as Nature-N, Blood and Bone, Seaweed, Biostimulants, Manure and Feather Meal to improve the soil and encourage microbial and earthworm activity. To find out more about the Scott's Performance Naturals range, head to lovethegarden.com.au. Okay, well, that was great with Adrian and uh, certainly wax flowers are amazing plants. When you see this story on the show, you will be blown away with just how beautiful these plants are. And when you see them in pots, you really get an appreciation of what a great pot plant they are. So even if you don't have a lot of room at home, you can grow them in pots on your balcony, in your courtyard, uh, even at the front door, they'd make a lovely little entrance um, plant. And Adrian mentioned something about hedge shearing. Well, you can actually hedge these guys and make beautiful little informal hedges. They, they look great. Now, I've got a plant that I really want to showcase. And there's been, uh, well, a, a lot of interest in West Australian wildflowers. The diversity of plants from this part of the country is quite spectacular. And one of the annuals that comes through every year, and I've got them in my front verge and they look just amazing, are these guys. And I'm gonna pull these, I picked them this morning and I'll tell you a little story about them. These are the beautiful West Australian paper daisies or everlastings as we like to call them. 
these are the pinks and whites, and you can see there's a slightly deeper red colour sitting in some of these as well. Now, this isn't a plant that you'd be putting into the garden now unless you're buying them as seedlings, and in some places you can. But what this is, is one of those plants that, well, it doesn't require any additional water at all to perform. Once you've got it into a space, these beautiful little flowers, they, they literally produce hundreds and hundreds of seeds per head. And once they're finished, you can mow them down, just literally let the seeds set into the ground. And what you will find is they will take off next winter. So they start becoming self-sustaining. So it really is a lovely wildflower that grows in most parts of the country. Remember, if you've got a question, make sure you leave it in the comments section and I can answer it. Marie, can you suggest shrubs which will grow in shade under my magnolias? Now, I've got exactly the same thing at home, um, Marie, and I'm assuming your magnolias in saying this, that your magnolias are the evergreen magnolias, because mine at home are. I've got um, a few different varieties. They've all now been under pruned, which makes it perfect for planting. And what I'm looking at putting in there is plants that have a very similar soil requirement, so a pH requirement. Now, that would be things like gardenias, but most importantly, things like azaleas and rhododendrons, which is exactly what I'm gonna plant under there. They love it slightly shaded, slightly protected during the heat of summer. And of course, you're gonna benefit with all that beautiful spring flower. Now is the time to be planting them. So I hope that helps Marie. Christine in Melton in Victoria. Will a Hass avocado grow in Victoria and can it be pruned? The answer is absolutely yes, it will. There are a lot of very successful avocado trees growing. One of the mistakes people make with avocados is that they think that they're a tropical tree and they're not. They actually come from up on cooler climates on mountains in South America. That was the original plants. They do very, very well in cool climates. You'll get great quality fruit. Now let's keep rolling. Uh, we'll stay in Victoria. Margaret uh, from Victoria, she's got something invading her garden at night and it's eating all the foliage on her roses, which is a bit unusual. It sounds to me like um, it's something on a large scale. She said it's not a possum. What I would suggest is without knowing what it is and not wanting to kill something, but maybe just repel it, grab some chili, grab some white pepper, right? Put the two of them, crush your chilies up with the white pepper, then pop them into a little spray bottle and spray it over the foliage of your roses. Um, not that there should be a lot of it this time of the year, but it will deter anything that is chewing on those plants, including caterpillars. So I hope that helps you. Um, that's, uh, that's Victoria David in Perth has just come through. He's got mole crickets on his lawn. Now, what's the best way to get rid of mole crickets? I'm not sure I'd want to get rid of them. I love them. They're really good in so many different ways. One of the things they do is they aerate your lawn and they're also a predator to a number of other bugs that cause a lot of problems in your lawn. So my preference would be that you don't do that. But if you were going to, it's probably, it'd be worthwhile suggesting that you apply a wetting agent to your lawn so that you get complete saturation of the soil. This tends to be a deterrent for mole crickets to keep burrowing there. They tend to go to a spot that provides them a little bit of dryness this time of the year. So they'll kind of move away and it's a lot better than using chemicals. So. Once upon a time, we'd soak the ground with some kind of chemical and it would be very effective in killing off those grubs and crickets and things like African black beetle larvae. 
but I don't want to do that. I'd much prefer to suggest that you don't go down that way. Try a wedding agent, see how that goes, or live with them. They're a really nice natural creature to have in there. So I hope that helps. Um, where are we? Let's, going back to Victoria. Hello, everybody in Victoria. I hope you're all staying well and safe. Um, we're watching those numbers at the moment coming down, which is a really positive sign. Fingers crossed, keeps going in that direction. Anna was concerned about pruning in winter. What's the best time to prune? Well, right now is a brilliant time of, of the year to be pruning. We're coming to the end of winter here in Australia. It's a really good time to get out and get your plants into shape. And some absolutely need it. Things like roses, a lot of your deciduous fruit trees, they absolutely need to be pruned. So please give it a go. Get out there and, and give them a prune back. There are some episodes coming up over the next three weeks of The Garden Gurus where I'll show you every week how to prune different trees. We've got fruit trees, we've got citrus, we've got uh, roses, they've all been covered. So I hope that helps. Philip, I'm not sure where Philip's from, but he's got some aged poultry manure. And what should I put it around this time of the year? Well, let me tell you, this is the perfect time of the year to be getting um, aged poultry manure out and about. If you've got vegetables or any of those fast growing plants, um, it's a brilliant thing to use. When it's raw, it can be quite dangerous, very high levels of ammonia. It can cause burning for a lot of plants, but with aged poultry manure, if you can get it out and scratch it into the top five centimetres, 10 centimetres of the soil, you'll end up really massively enriching the soil and improving its ability to hold nutrients and of course, most importantly, to build up the microbial base, that life in the soil that's the key to a successful garden. I hope that helps. Um, now, I've got a few things going on here. Jean from Melbourne. Why are my camellia leaves are yellowing? How can I help them? This is a good one because generally if camellia leaves are yellowing right this time of the year, it's a classic case of magnesium deficiency. This is one of those ones where you get the old Epsom salts out, you get at least four tablespoons into a nine litre watering can, you mix it in thoroughly, it has to be completely dissolved. And then with the rose head on, you water over the top of the foliage of the plant and it'll turn those leaves a nice dark green if they haven't gone too far. If they have, they'll drop off naturally anyway. Um, Jill has come back with a question about oxalis and this is a really common thing. In fact, on this week's show, I will feature oxalis in a way that you never dreamed it might be presented. Of course, um, the oxalis that I'm talking about is one that... Um, is known as soursop, and there are a few different types. If you're talking about the creeping red oxalis, very diffi difficult plant to control. Um, pulling it out will only encourage it to spread. It will need to be hit with a selective herbicide. If it's the large soursop um, oxalis, then the flowers for a start and their stems are all edible, so add them to salads. They're rich in oxalic acid, which in small quantities is exceptionally good for us, and in large quantities can be problematic. So small amounts on a regular basis. It's that old dietary thing, it's really important. Um, if you wanna get rid of that particular one, the best way to do it is to smother it out with newspaper. So wet newspaper over the top of the plants now. Um, pulling it will not help because it has little bulblets in the soil. And if you do that, you're effectively propagating. So for every one you pull out, you'll probably end up with 20 more. All right, so. Garden set essentials. There's a lot of new things that get introduced each year and um, one of my jobs is to make sure that I check them out, test them, make sure they work. And in some instances, when they work really well, that I share that with you. This is a really good example. 
Um, the people at Scott's developed something called Performance Naturals. Now, I didn't really understand what it was all about. So you'll see these in garden centres now everywhere. And this is just a couple of the range. We originally started with a potting mix and the potting mix is effectively natural ingredients boosted with minerals and a few other little essential additives in there. What I love about this new range, and this is the fertilizers, is that it is natural ingredients that have been boosted and they've got some pretty amazing elements chucked into them. So some things like with citrus, it's really important we get trace elements in. And if you have a look at the back of the bag, you'll actually see that there's things like um, seaweed, which is fantastic for soil health. Um, probably one of the biggest things I think at the moment is, um, is adding magnesium. And magnesium and iron in colder conditions with citrus vitally important and if you don't have enough of them in the soil you will know exactly what I am talking about because you'll take a look at the leaves and you'll see dark green veins or just a general broad yellowing of the leaf and this is a sign that basically the magnesium that is in the plant is not enough and what they sometimes will do is as we move into growing conditions and new leaves are produced they'll drop the old leaves now that is just a simple process of them taking the iron out, moving it from the old leaves into the new foliage and obviously new flower. Now you don't want that, you want a tree full of foliage. So adding these elements is really important. And that's why specialized blends like this particular one are really, really important. The other thing about this is it's a slow release fertilizer that feeds over three months. Now plants are like us. Once upon a time, we used to give them lots of food, a big boost of food, and then we'd burn the roots and that would be quite problematic. Now that would require us to water them a lot. That would require extra water. Sometimes they'd set back. Sometimes they'd take off and grow like crazy but you were always hit and miss. But with slow release fertilizers, they feed the plants just the way they should, just the way we do. And that is small amounts on a regular basis. You see, that's the key to strong sustained growth. And of course, making sure that you've got a really good mix of the mineral elements that are vitally important to those plants' growth. And if you're thinking, well, it's not, I don't need it because I don't have citrus. Well, they also have a, a really cool all-purpose plant food. This is especially good for flowering plants, things like dahlias. So if you're going to, if you're going to plant those, which is just about now is the time, um, make sure that you've got yourself the right fertilizer. And yeah, remember it's performance naturals. There you go. That's fresh out of the garden shed. We have a whole bunch of things that are flowing through as far as questions go. So let me roll through some of your questions. First of all, Karen has asked, would this fertilizer be okay for finger limes? Now, finger limes are a native citrus and there's a really wonderful history with them. The very first settlers in Australia as they moved up the east coast were moving through the rainforests and they were looking for a citrus to help them beat scurvy, which was quite a serious problem. But more importantly, that would go with the gin so that the gin and tonic was uh, as good as it could be. And they discovered these native finger limes, which are actually a citrus. Now, there's been a lot of breeding done in the last 15, 20 years with them. And as a consequence of that breeding, we are seeing some really good table versions of them available. So there is a couple, a yellow and a pink and an orange as well, which are amazing. There's also round limes, which is another, uh, I suppose it's a desert lime, a native form that you can also get and grow in your own garden. And growing bush plants or bush foods is a really popular thing in Australia at the moment. 
So yes, the answer is it's designed for citrus. They have the same needs. They need to be fed with a good all-round fertiliser and keep that soil healthy. And that's what Performance Naturals does for you. So I hope that answers the question. Um, Graham from Delliston in Victoria. Where do I start fertilising? When do I start fertilising my strawberries? What fertiliser should I be using? That would be good. That was the one I was talking about before. This, believe it or not, I know it says citrus and fruit. Strawberries are fruit, and this would be absolutely sensational. So the Performance Naturals, you're gonna find this in your local Bunnings store, really good way to, to take control of it. Dawn from Western Sydney. What is the best thing for removing curl grubs in pots that say for frogs, as I don't like to use chemicals? This would be one where under normal circumstances, I would have suggested that you use something like, um, well, ideally, uh, a wetting agent because once you get the moisture right through that, curl grubs will come to the surface. They tend to be vulnerable then to, uh, to bird eating insects. However, um, wetting agents sometimes are not good for frogs at all. And if you've got frogs in the garden, you don't want to set them back. I'd much prefer not to use chemicals as well. So my suggestion would be that you probably look at uh, probably trying to curb their adults so that the grubs are only the product of beetles flying into the garden. The way you can kind of reduce that is to keep lights turned off at night. So the beetles are often attracted. I have a, I have a really good example I'll share with you. African black beetles are a really good example. It's, a very, it's got a grub just like curl grub and it does a fair bit of damage to roots. Um, when you leave lights on at night, um, you're in a situation where the, the bugs are actually attracted, or the beetles are attracted to the light. They come to the light, they drop into the ground and then they'll lay their eggs and, and subsequently you'll end up with the larvae. Um, turn the lights off, they won't come to your place, but they will be attracted to lights nearby. So you'll often see that there's um, large patches of damaged lawn, for example, under street lights, and that's because those beetles are being attracted there. So that's probably my bit of advice. I'm, I'm a bit reticent to go suggesting chemicals at all if, if you can help it. Um, the one thing that if you didn't have frogs around, you could use Comfidor as a drench. Uh, Tala, hi Tala, bit of a uh, bit of a regular contributor to the stuff that we do um, on the Facebook page. Lovely to, to get your question from the Upper Hunter, New South Wales, warm temperature zone. When my guru's wax plants arrive, what grows well with them? Well. It's a really interesting thing. These can grow into quite a nice solid shrub, so they do love to have a bit of space around the outside. In the wild, they would typically grow with other native shrubs that are of a similar kind of height. So around about that one and a half, maximum two meters. Remember, Tala, that when, when those wax plants arrive, make sure you give them a regular prune. If you're pruning them on a regular basis, you'll find that they stay a lot more compact and next year, when you really get your first lot of really good flower in the garden, they'll be a beautiful shaped shrub, but they'll be in flower all over the shrub. A little bit of advice there. Uh, heading back to Perth, great to have you join us. Anna, would you have any idea where I might be able to get broccolini seeds in the Perth area? Probably a pretty hard one. My suggestion would be that if you're gonna look for something that's a bit unusual, um, that maybe you look to somebody like Eden Seeds. So that's an online Google. Eden Seeds are a national company and they can generally get these kinds of seeds to you. They do have a lot of heirloom varieties. So I'm not sure whether you're gonna get broccolini as such. You might, you may not, but give it a try. Rhiannon from Junie in New South Wales. 
could you suggest an attractive native tree or bush that I could use to border a large property that would help block road noise? No wattles. Well, look, the one that I would be suggesting to you would be the lily pilly, and there's a whole bunch of different varieties. Um, one of my favorites is probably one of the oldest um, hedging plants around uh, called Bush Christmas. It's still probably the best out there. It's a fabulous sh hedging shrub, gets very large, produces uh, flower, produces beautiful fruit, but most importantly, it's a nice, dense, compact growing plant. And as, a, as an informal hedge, it'll make a great noise screen and a really wonderful addition to a boundary. Rena in Sydney, can I prune a lavender bush now and how much do I cut off? In all honesty, Rena, it's probably a bit late. Let the, let the lavender flower and then prune after flower. And then when the first flush of foliage has come through, you'll start to see it gets a little ungainly. You'll get some bits grow longer than others. Give it one more cut, probably November, somewhere between November and January, depending on how fast it's growing and how old it is. Belinda Scott. Really, really good question, Belinda. This is about pruning lemon trees um, and do you need to fertilise them? Every time you prune, whether it be roses, citrus, even deciduous fruit trees, even though they don't have foliage on, give them a feed after you've done it. And again, I think I would be looking at an all-purpose fertiliser in this particular instance only because really all you're looking for now is for them to, to get some growth and recover. And again, the, what you do after the prune is as important as the pruning process. So if you've pruned them right, you've got them into shape. But after they've been pruned, they'll start putting out new growth. And wherever there's light, you'll see they start to try and grow in that direction. And if you want to keep that shape maintained, you want to go through probably in two months time and just remove any growth that's growing in areas that ultimately will shade out other parts of the plant later on. You don't want the growth just to return. And if you do this now and you give them a feed, you maintain the rage when it comes to keeping the shape, what you'll end up with is a lot of energy going up into the plants, into the areas that you want growth and into the fruit. And you'll find you get bigger, larger, juicier, better fruit. So there's a little tip for you. Wow, heading up to Queensland, Leslie, I really want to plant either a little gem magnolia or a teddy bear magnolia. I've got both in my garden. You've got a dense clay soil. Which one's gonna cope better or should I improve the soil? The area is shady in the morning, sunny in the afternoon. The, the sun is shade ratio is perfect. Soil, dense clay soil, if it's not draining, can be quite problematic and it's pretty difficult if you're just sitting in a huge bed of clay to break it down. You can add gypsum in there. Gypsum does a great job. But what I would recommend you look at doing is probably saying something like, um, put a little bit of gypsum into the base of the hole when you've dug it in and plant them. And if I was gonna go for one or the other, I would go for teddy bear. I love teddy bear. It's a beautiful magnolia and it's got this lovely brown underside to the leaf, which is how it gets its name. So I hope that answers your question, Leslie. Robin, how do I get rid of gnats in my indoor plants? Those fungus gnats are a pretty common problem at the moment. And the best way to do it is with a yellow sticky trap. So you can buy these from your local hardware store or garden center, and they're literally yellow plastic, um, and it's painted with a sticky glue. You peel off paper on either side, and you just need to find a little spot to hang it nearby, wherever they, they are, or from the plant itself. 
and they will fly to it. And the reason is that insects are colour blind, so they have a very limited range of colours. And predominantly the ones that do most damage in our gardens can only see the spectrum of colours in yellow or in blue. So if you've got a light blue sticky trap and a yellow sticky trap and you hang them outside in your garden, you'll find a whole bunch of insects that are quite different on the blue one. They're thrips and mites and even some of the immature larvae of things like mealybug seem to love going to them. And the yellow, you're gonna get fruit fly, you're gonna get fungus gnats, and you're gonna get a whole bunch of others that are really attracted to that. So it's a nice natural way to do it without having any chemicals. And I am sharing a story with you on the Garden Gurus. I'll show you how to do it. And I've got a nice natural way where you can do it as a project at home without actually having to spend any money. So I hope, hopefully that helps. Um, Anouk, we have a compost bin, 200 litre, that she started six weeks ago. How long before I start to see some worm activity in the compost bin? Is it just the cold weather that's slowing everything down? Um, well, compost bins can be problematic for worms. So if you're using a lot of raw material, that'll be breaking down and heating up and worms actually don't like that. What worms love is a lovely, um, rich layer of soil to live in with some green continuously being added over the top. And if you get a worm farm, that's exactly what you'll get. That's what you're encouraged to do. Um, as far as a compost bin goes, if it's an, 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 if it's an anaerobic, that's, uh, that's where you're not pouring air into the mix and encouraging bacteria to break it down. Worms will be quite active, but you should start to see a fair bit of activity now that the moisture levels are high. So hopefully I've, covered all the different options for you there. Lindy, when's the best time to pick your strawberries? It's when they've turned red. Trust me, absolutely best time. And the reason is really seriously, is that when they've turned red, of course, they've been sun ripened and the sun's done its job and that starch has turned into sugars and they're just sweeter and juicier. And they also have a beautiful aroma to them too. Um, we're all getting to that stage now where our strawberries are starting to come through. Tracy, my lily is getting some yellow leaves, why? and something is starting to eat them. Any idea on what and how to stop them? Well, it probably depends on what type of lily you've got. So some of them should have finished flower at the moment and uh, they'll be in the process of dying back. So that's probably not such a big problem. But if you've got new growth coming on and they're yellowing, then you want to use a bulb fertilizer and you can get a few different types of bulb fertilizers. So um, check it out at your local garden center. As far as something coming to eat them, well, maybe get yourself some Dipel. There's, um, it's, an, it's a naturally occurring bacteria. And uh, generally, if you're seeing something eating them, it's probably a caterpillar, I'm suggesting. And Dipel will naturally control caterpillars. It's not a chemical, it is a natural bacteria. Um, Carolyn from Melbourne, when's the best time to fertilize magnolias? Right now, Carolyn, I've just fertilized mine on the weekend. We had a bit of rain around, so it was terrific to give them a boost. And as the weather gets warm, they'll really take that nutrient up and you'll see a really strong burst and flush of growth. Now, I'm talking about evergreen, but it doesn't really matter because your, your deciduous magnolias, if they're like mine, are, are coming into flower now too, and they will then follow with a burst of foliage growth. And that's what that nutrient's there to do. Uh, Evelyn in South Australia, hi to everybody in South Australia. We haven't sort of seen too many people from South Australia asking questions today. Evelyn, where do we get yellow sticky traps for wasps? So there, it's, it's an interesting one, the wasp one. You'll find it in garden centers. It's actually a cylinder with a little roof on the top 
and um, it's especially, uh, especially effective for those citrus gall wasps. But yellow sticky traps and those, they should be available in your local Bunnings store or your local independent garden centre. Check it out. Uh, Linda from Kalgoorlie. We're right out now out at Kalgoorlie. When's the best time of the year to be fertilising succulents? Um, the answer to that is not now. So in the cold weather, you don't want to be putting too much nutrient on succulents. They're not growing. They're sitting there quite dormant. Um, they are producing a lot of flower, but what you want to do is you want to leave it until about November. Then give them a feed and they'll take off. Lynn from Perth's got quite... Um, Quite specific, where can I buy the volcano flocks in Perth? I can't seem to find it. It's a really good question, Lynn. I think I might need to suggest that you either pop into your local Waldex or Dawson's Garden Centre, or you could ask at your Bunnings store, I suppose. But my suggestion would be that um, you do that. And I might do a little bit of homework and on Friday during our next garden club catch up, I will let you know if I've found any. Narelle? Really, really good question. How do you eradicate onion weed in large areas? I've seen people apply systemic um, herbicides in this instance, and the rate you have to apply them at is it's just not worth it. So my suggestion would be that you get big, thick layers of newspaper. I know it's a large area. I would put the thick layers of newspaper down and I would mulch over the top, and the combination will smother out uh, both the onion weed, and you might need to do it again this time next year, but you should wipe out 99% of them after that. Where are we heading next? All right, David in Newcastle, New South Wales. I want to dig up a marea and replant it. Best time of the year is now, David. Give it a cut back. So you want to prune back at least 25% of the plant. And the reason is that when you dig it out, you want to make sure you're retaining 75% of the root system. Remember, those roots are designed to support the foliage. So if you can reduce the foliage down in a proportion that's similar to the amount of root system, so if you cut 50% of the roots off, 50% of the foliage off, make sure you soak the roots after you've dug it out with sea salt, then put it into its new home and give it another good watering in with sea salt in about a week's time and that will help the roots recover. We are really belting through these, um, these questions, but we're just about at the end. Brad from Perth for the Lazy Gardener. What's the best weed spray for weeds between plants in a garden bed? Something that you can spray the weed and it won't harm the plants. Well, I hate to say this, Brad, but the truth of the matter is herbicides designed to kill. And if they come in contact with other plants, it's going to be problematic. Now, you can get these shields over sprayers. So it's like a little muffler, if you like, that goes over the top and you can spray very specifically over the weeds that you've got. If you've got perennial grasses growing through, something like, say, cooch moving through your garden beds, there are some selective herbicides that you can spray over other plants that only kill grasses. Things like fusillard. So that's quite an unusual thing, but it's a selective herbicide that only kills grasses. So... I hope that that's answered your question. There's certainly been a lot of them. I'm really looking forward to seeing you on Friday. We think we've got through all of our technical questions. Well done. Michaela and Jimmy have done an awesome job getting on top of our little technical challenges. I'm looking forward to seeing you on Friday because we've got special guests, Bonnie Marie Hibbs, tuning in from Melbourne. It's going to be great to see Bon. It's been a big challenge for everybody over there and we miss her on the show a lot at the moment, but it'll be nice to see her face. And Managing Director of Garden Express, that's that company that delivers all of the plants direct to your door. 
David Van Berkel, who's just a great bloke. He's joining us on Friday too. Hopefully we can get a special offer or something out of him for that. So make sure you tune in Friday. That's um, at 12 noon Australian Eastern Standard Time. Now, these live streams are available as a podcast on Podbean and Apple Podcast. So make sure you check them out. Thanks very much. I'm Trevor Cochran. We'll see you again real soon. Bye-bye. The Garden Gurus is back on your TV this weekend. Now, we know that this can be a little bit confusing, so listen carefully, folks. We're on 9 and 9HD for New South Wales, Victoria, Queensland and the Northern Territory on Saturday at 12.30pm. For South Australia and Tasmania, we'll be on your screens on Saturdays at 4.30pm. And for those in WA, tune in Sundays at 5.30pm. And on Nine Life across all states, you can watch the Garden Gurus team every Saturday from tomorrow at 5pm. We'll see you then. Dig, 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 digging around. Dig, 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 digging the ground. I got my spade, I got my hoe, I got my rake, and I'm ready to go. I dig, I dig, dig, digging the ground. Feeling good in the ground. I got my spade, I got my hoe, I got my rake, and I'm ready to go. Digging around.